This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Chapter 27 Jezebel Judith thought, He must be stopped, else he'll leave tonight. She ran swiftly up the back stairs and burst into Miss Anne's room without knocking. Come quick! Richard's planning to follow Thorne to California. Anne Tomlinson was reading her Bible. There had been no family prayers this night. She closed the book and laid it aside. Where is Richard? Miss Anne went down the hall and tapped at the door that muffled a sound of voices. The voices ceased. Who is it? called Will. Your mother. The door opened to admit Miss Anne. Judith remained outside. There was a rise and fall of voices for minutes, hours it seemed, before Anne Tomlinson came out. Judith could not hide the trembling of her lips as she put the question. You mean, you're just going to stand by and let him go? I believe there's nothing we can do, Judith. He seems to have made up his mind. He is a grown man. He has a right to make his own decisions. This quiet acceptance of so cataclysmic an event was incredible. That the Tomlinsons, with their strict code, should not move heaven and earth to prevent it was beyond belief. Yet when Judith spoke to Will, she met the same strange neutrality. It's Richard's business, not mine. The girl might be considered your business, retorted Judith. Thorne never bound herself to me, was Will's reply. Well, Richard bound himself to me, and I don't intend to let him make a fool of himself. Richard, meantime, was making hurried preparations for departure. He put together a few personal necessities, no more than would go in his saddlebags, and filled a money belt with all the currency the house yielded. Brother and mother not only watched, but actually aided in these preparations. The only deterring word spoken was Will's suggestion that Richard wait till morning to give the horses a rest. They had been run pretty hard that day. But Richard would not brook even this delay. He would ride his own horse as far as Turner's and get a fresh mount there. His brother-in-law was always good for a horse trade. When Judith appealed again to Richard's mother, Miss Anne said, If he's going, the sooner he starts, the better. He'll lose the trail if that wagon gets too far ahead. Then you're going to let him go and do nothing about it? Tears filled Anne Tomlinson's eyes. There was nothing she could say. So, the Tomlinson religion is only skin deep after all, sneered Judith. The household saint, the devout Methodist who believes the Bible from cover to cover, can stand by and see her son desert his wife Without lifting a finger to stop him? What can I do? You could at least talk to him. The small, gray-haired mother shook her head. The time for me to have talked to him, Judith, was before he married you. But if Richard's mother and brother accepted the inevitable, his wife did not. Judith caught her husband as he was starting out to the barn to saddle his horse. She drew him into the kitchen and closed the door. I've something to say to you, Richard, before you go. Nothing you can say will alter my intention. You may change your mind when you have heard me. 
He waited with restive patience for whatever new threat or entreaty her desperation had evolved. If you go to that girl, I swear, as God is my witness, that I'll charge you with the murder of your first wife. He stood for seconds, speechless. Then he laughed mirthlessly. (laughs) You're forgetting what I saw last night, aren't you, Judith? You saw me hunting on the floor of a closet for a pair of old bedroom slippers. I told you nothing. I admitted nothing. But you talked a great length about a doll which you claimed was put on Abigail's bed for the purpose of frightening her to death. How did you know about the doll, Richard, if you didn't put it on the pillow yourself? You were the last person with Abigail before the doctor came. It was you who reported her ravings about a string tied around a doll's neck. You admitted last night that you told Otis Hughes it was you who hid the doll under the closet floor, where he and Lucius Goff found it. I think it would be easy to convince Mr. Hughes that you also put the doll on your wife's bed with murderous intent. And Otis Hughes is a clever lawyer. He looked at her in silence so long that her hand began moving toward her throat, where the nervous pain was gathering. He said softly, Your name should have been Jezebel. Then he drew a deep breath of release. Do your worst, Judith. Go to anyone you please. What you do can't hurt me now. Richard, I didn't mean it. I was only trying to frighten you. I love you. Richard, everything I've done has been for love of you. Don't leave me, Richard. Come back. Come back. Her cry fell upon empty air. He was gone. She lifted her eyes to the kitchen shelf above her head. A neat row of canisters held a motley assortment of condiments and household remedies. She reached for one plainly marked with skull and crossbones. She had not yet played her final card. Richard was saddling his horse by the light of a lantern when Jesse Moffat came running out to the barn in his nightclothes. Come quick! Judith's dying, Richard said. Oh no, she's not. She's staging another scene. Not this time. She's took bad. Miss Anne sent young Will for the doctor. She says you're not to go till we see what's happened. What do you mean? She thinks Judith's taken something. As they hurried to the house, they passed Will on his way to the barn. What's happened? Will shouted. Judith's taken poison! And went on running toward the barn. A moment later, he dashed out of the yard on Richard's saddled horse. Still, Richard did not believe it. This was another ruse of Judith's to keep him from leaving. But when he found her laid on the bed in the alcove, moaning and writhing in pain, he was not so sure. Her face was contorted, wet with sweat, and she seemed to be in agony. Tell me just what happened. He said to his mother, I found her like this. Lying on the bed here, groaning. Then I found this on the floor beside her. Miss Anne handed him a water tumbler. There was a small amount of cloudy liquid in the bottom, and white powder adhered to the moist rim. Like an overtone to this ecstasy was the rise and fall of Richard's voice beyond the bed curtains. Then gradually the sweet delirium merged into a deep uneasiness. She could not have told when the change began. 
She had no prescience of its coming until suddenly it was there. That old horror which she had had so long and lost for a time, the consciousness of something beside her. It was only an awareness at first, of an inimical presence. But strive as she would, she could not shake off the thought or the image of her fear. She recognized it at last for what it was, Abigail. She had always known that someday she must have it out with Abigail. But for her to come now, when victory was within sight, to creep into her very bed and lie like this beside her, pretending that they were two sisters in defeat, that they had striven for the same prize and lost to the same opponent, that henceforth they must sleep forever side by side. The wives whom Richard Tomlinson had not loved. It was monstrous. Had the woman no sense, no shame, no delicacy to be commiserating thus with a triumphant rival? Could she not see that Judith had won, that she had scoured for herself everything which had escaped her predecessor? Then why must she pretend this loathsome sympathy and twine her emaciated arms round Judith's neck in suffocating compassion? Closer, tighter, closer, tighter the embrace until... God in heaven, it was no embrace. It was murder. The thin clutch about her throat was not a skinny arm. It was a band of velvet, twisting, tighter, tighter, tighter. She shrieked and knew to her horror that she made no sound. But the voices still came from beyond the curtains. She rose on her pillow to listen. She was not alone. They would not let her die like this. She would be able to scream when she had torn this band from her throat. Richard would come in a moment and waken her from this nightmare. And then she fell back on the pillows again as incredible. The band about her throat tightened, squeezing out her last breath. In the chill dark hour before dawn, the doctor roused from fitful slumber in his chair and went to his patient's bedside to see how she was resting. He found, to shocked amazement, that she was dead. Death was due, apparently, to strangulation. The collar of her nightgown was ripped apart. Her throat was scratched as though nails had clawed it. Her face was the face of a sleeper in the grip of a terrible dream. But she was cold and still and lifeless. He summoned Richard and Anne Tomlinson, but there was nothing to be done. I can't understand it. He repeated the words bewilderedly, over and over. I can't understand it. I can't understand it. We sat here all night long. We never heard a sound. I supposed she was sleeping, so I never disturbed her. Miss Anne said, Were you awake all night? Both men admitted to dozing off shortly before daylight. They had talked for most of the night, Richard explained. 
They had talked to keep from going to sleep. If Judith had called or made the slightest sound, he was sure they would have heard her. The troubled old doctor said, It must have been that throat ailment she complained of was more serious than I realized. Though damned if I could find anything organic. Maybe I'm getting too old to practice medicine. What Richard's thoughts were, none present could have guessed. But a silent pressure of his hand exonerated his old friend from all blame. They buried Judith one week from the day the big crowd gathered at Timberley. She was laid to rest beside Abigail, in the family burial ground between the poplars. People talked of it discreetly as they turned their faces homeward from attending the funeral. For the second time in two years, Richard Tomlinson had stood by the newly made grave of a wife. Poor man, he's had enough to break him. No wonder he's leaving Timberley. Is he really going to California? Starts tomorrow morning, I understand. Well, he always was a restless fellow. Never settled like his brother Will. Can't blame him, though, for wanting to get away. Hard on a man, bearing two wives so close together. (laughs) 